Hi, my name is Sam Blezard. Welcome to Comms from the Shed. The interview show where you get to hear from a range of diverse and interesting voices on how they've coped during the global pandemic. In this series, we'll be taking an informal look at life, talking to people who've been doing incredible things and asking them about their hopes for the future in both their personal and professional lives. Hope you enjoy it. Today we have brand consultant and beauty writer Keisha Davis, who is a former editor of Black Hair magazine and has written for Glamour magazine, The Independent and BBC Music, amongst other titles. She's also the founder of arts, music and culture blog, The Coco Diaries, is a mother of two and goes by the name of Ms. Keish on Instagram. Keisha, welcome to Comes From The Shed. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. And first of all, let me just ask how you have found uh, lockdown. Lockdown has been an experience, to say the least. It's been such a roller coaster of emotions, like, you know, like everybody. This is one experience we can say we've all had together, you know. Um, and yeah, the challenges, like most women, most working women, has been the juggle of trying to work from home. I always work from home anyway, but usually the children are at home. I've got a five-year-old and a 15-year-old, so two very <laughs> quite large age gaps. They're at both, different, both at different stages of their journey. My younger one has just started um, primary school. My older son is, well, he was due for GCSEs, but you know that's all in a bit of a flux at the moment with that. So it's been really difficult juggling, trying to keep them motivated, keep on top of their work while... You know, as you mentioned, I'm a freelancer and a consultant, so having to work with various clients and still deliver, I'm sure like, you, you know, like many, um, you've lost maybe loved ones or know of someone that's passed away from coronavirus. So you've got that aspect as well. It's been hard, but you know, there's also been benefits as well, I think, personally, not taking your family for granted and realising what matters in life. Just sort of briefly for our listeners, how did you get to be... The, the person you are professionally, consultant on brands, someone who wrote about beauty. What's your kind of background? What what was the journey to get here like? I don't know if unconventional is the right word, but it's it's not a traditional route into beauty journalism writing. I first started off writing for um, lifestyle magazines and interning for magazines like um, Bliss was one of them. Um, Pride quite notably that's where I got my main start um, as an intern at Pride and then I went on to become an editorial assistant and after leaving Pride I ventured into PR it was almost accidental it wasn't a, an intentional move really I don't even remember how it happened but I was looking for work in um, magazine journalism after leaving Pride the first time because I worked there twice and found it really hard. And I um, foolishly thought I could just leave and walk into another magazine job. The magazine journalism world is quite um, small, close knit. So I went into PR for a bit for um, I think three or four years perhaps. Worked in marketing for a while as well. And then when I became pregnant with my first child in 2005, I started um, reaching back out to Sherry Dixon who was the, the then editor of Pride. And, you know, saying to her, I'm, you know, on maternity leave right now and I really miss writing for magazines. Can I perhaps send you a few feature ideas to consider? And she was like, yeah, sure, send them through. And um, luckily, and I always have to thank Sherry for this because she's always supported my, um, 
my throughout my whole career she's always been so supportive and always there at the right moments so I was writing for pride on a freelance capacity and then one day just out of the blue said to her look are there any jobs going and she said funny enough the um entertainment editor has just resigned um so there is a position available if you want it she said Keisha I know you know the company already um so it's literally yours to refuse so I went up to the office, which was based in Battersea at the time, met up with Sherry and just spoke about what the job would entail. And then that was it really. And I think once I got that second chance in the industry, I haven't looked back since. So um, worked there for four years, left um, to freelance for maybe about six months. And then the a position became available at Black Hair Magazine um, for an editor. And being an editor was always my ultimate goal um, from a child, from I was like 13, 14 and started buying magazines. I don't know if you remember magazines like Just 17 and... Well, there was there was a lot yeah. of pages torn out of Just 17 on my uh, big sister's wall. Let's put it that way. Yeah, exactly. That was always my ultimate goal. I thought this looks like an amazing job. Always loved to write and always loved reading, but I also love the creative side as well, like photo shoots and, you know, um, profiles on pop groups and celebrities that I was into. So I thought this looks like an amazing job. And um, yeah, so even though black hair wasn't in the lifestyle um, kind of genre, it was more specifically hair and beauty. I thought, you know what, this is a perfect opportunity. I'm gonna take it. And then that was that. And I worked there for seven years before the magazine folded. Um, like many printed magazine titles, it just became a victim of the industry where people aren't buying magazines anymore and then that was it I left um, or was made redundant in 2018 and have just been working as a consultant and freelancer ever since. Interesting to hear you say that you really missed writing I mean there must be must be good karma on your part because you mentioned somebody giving you an opportunity uh, you've been very generous in terms of my own sort of writing as well. So in case I forget yeah. to, to thank you, I'm going to say that. Up front. Um, thank you, Sam. Not at all. It's interesting also to hear you say that it was a dream of yours to be an editor. So it was great that you you managed to to realise that dream so young. Um, yeah. I, I wondered what your reflection was, the shift to online from mm. print, you know, like print becoming obsolete. You know, what, yeah. what are your reflections of that? Because it, it feels to me like you lived through that and now we're very much in a, a fully online virtual yeah. world of media it was really hard actually because like I said I've, I've loved magazines from when I was a child it's always been magazines books and music those are my main things um, that I was into and you know up in my loft to this day I've got stacks of old magazines that I've like yeah I can't Richard's always like my partner's always like get rid of them and I'm like no I can't I've, and I always felt there'd be in my life and I always felt once I become an editor, that will be me, that will be it until my retirement years. I also love digital media as well. And I, I like consuming online medias. And as you know, I'm really into social media as well. And I think as a typical Gen, Gen Xer, I've got my feet firmly planted in both worlds, that kind of analog world and digital world. So, um, I was really sad to see magazines go, but I also saw the writing on the wall pretty early. And funny enough, now on reflection, that was one of my um, reasons for starting the Coco Diaries. And that was, I started that, as you know, 2008, so it's quite a, a long while ago. 
And I was like, no, this is the future. Um, and I remember speaking to my colleagues at work as well, like girls, get yourself a blog, um, get yourself on Facebook. And they were like, ah, you know what, that's fine. I'm, I'll just, you know, sit over here and do my magazine thing. Absolutely. I think that's important. And uh, also listening to you talk about um, you've had spells in your career in PR and magazines in mm -hmm. beauty. Um, are these are these things like a sort of virtuous circle where one thing kind of feeds the other it sounds almost sort of cyclical like you know one yeah. one thing led to another but also allowed you kind of roots back and forward between yeah. these different things what, what would you what absolutely. was your reflection on that absolutely um so to just go back to when i was at pride and i was an entertainment editor um part of the reason i think why i had a, an, an advantage to get the position at black hair is I was freelancing for black hair. I was um, approaching the editor and saying, look, I've just interviewed, um, I think Janet Jackson was the first one I pitched to the magazine. I'm like, just interviewed Janet Jackson. I haven't been able to place it anywhere. Would you like to feature it in black hair? The then editor was like, yep, sure, let's do that. And once that relationship started every issue, I would pitch her a celebrity interview. So when the job became available at Black Hair, they already knew who I was, they knew my work. So um, that enabled me to get that foot in the door, I believe. And I feel you're, you're right, that, you know, fashion, beauty, music, everything is intertwined. So it was quite easy to, trans to transfer my skills from that of, a, that of an entertainment journalist to becoming a beauty writer. In those early days, did you have any sort of favourite interviews or did you ever feel kind of starstruck at any point? I guess I guess people who interview a lot and don't yeah. experience that. But yeah, any any sort of memories that, that jump out at you from that time? I think, you know what, I think Janet Jackson was one of those ones because I, like many, not even just women, I think everybody idolised Janet um, as a child of the 80s, you know. And um, it wasn't a one-on-one -on -one interview, but it was quite an um, interesting experience because it was Janet and Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry was the main talent there. He was promoting his film, Why Did I Get Married Too, I think it was. And Janet Jackson was one of the co-stars. So it was like a little, um, wasn't a one-on-one. -on -one. There was probably about me and four other journalists in the hotel room. Tyler was holding call and he's very charming, very charismatic. I really liked him really lovely personality and we were all just kind of talking back and forth. Janet hadn't entered the room yet. Janet entered maybe three to five minutes afterwards, sat down and she was just so quiet and what we expect of her, quiet, demure. And she sat there and everyone was just asking Tyler questions. And I'm like, this is Janet Jackson. Why is no one asking her questions? So I directed a question at her and she's like, oh, someone's acknowledged me. And you know, she was her usual sweet and gracious self. And, um, but just seemed so normal as she is, you know? So I think that was probably one of my kind of pinch me moments. I'm actually interviewing Janet. Everybody else, I don't think there's anyone else that particularly stood out for me, really. Um, it became a job after a while. And to be honest, towards the end of it, I didn't enjoy it as much. I um, felt I was interviewing a lot of up and coming artists or artists who were kind of hot at the moment and I tended to find artists like that weren't particularly up for being interviewed you could mm. sense I didn't want to be there so it wasn't an enjoyable experience I really preferred 
in interviewing a lot of more the veteran artists, artists that have been around for 20, 30 years and had really storied careers with those real stories, those real battle scars. And they, there was nothing that's off guard or off limits, you know, they were a lot more forthcoming and they actually wanted to be there. There's a piece you wrote for Glamour magazine, how black women can be discriminated against because of the choices they make of yep. their uh, hairstyling. And I just I just wondered what your uh, opinions on that were. For anybody who's not aware of that issue that might be listening, I think it's quite an interesting yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. No, funny enough, you just reminded, I've just submitted another article on hair discrimination this week for another magazine called Spell, which will be out, I think, in a few weeks' time. So yes, it's obviously a subject that I'm really passionate about. Um, so for those who are not kind of aware of the conversations around that, um, Basically, there's a history of um, black girls and boys actually being discriminated against for the way they wear their hair. And that could be anything, Sam, as simple as just wearing your hair in its natural state. So if your hair is in an Afro, um, there's been a few cases where girls with Afros have been told you must, you know, put your hair back in a ponytail, straight or whatever because it's um, distracting to the other students is, you know, obstructing their way, you know, just nonsense, basically. Yeah, so I, I figured, you know, it's time. We, and I'm not the only one. There's there's many other journalists out there, Ate Jules, a name that springs to mind, Akeisha Reed, that have written about the subject. And um, yeah, it's just for a call for to put an end to it, really. And there's a few things in place as well from brands that are working to end hair discrimination as well. Cantu Beauty is a brand that I work really closely with and they've recently implemented a training program enabling hairstylists of all backgrounds, black, white and other ethnicities to train, to train on how to um, style and look after Afro hair. That's not a thing that becomes other or alien to, you know, it's just hair. It's just hair, it grows out of our head differently to, um, white Europeans or Asians or whatever, but it's it's our hair, you know, and this impacts also, you know, just take away the politics of it all, but just think about the children that it impacts as well. Being told that your hair, the way your hair grows out of your head, naturally, it's wrong. It's something that you're liable to get in trouble for, be excluded from school for, you know, how, just think how that makes you feel as a child. And it's funny because I never, I don't think I've ever experienced that as a child growing up in the 80s. And considering we're a society who feels we've come such a long way in terms of, um, you know, multiculturalism, it somehow seems like we've taken a step back in that regard. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad I, I'm glad I asked you about this. And, you know, people might be wondering uh, what appreciation a, a middle-aged white Scottish man can have for this. But... <laughs> Um, it's been brought into sharp focus for me because I have mixed race children and, yeah. you know, they, they have Afro hair. And I remember very vividly um, my daughter drawing a picture of herself with mm. straight blonde hair. You know, she represented yeah. herself as having straight blonde hair. And I, I found that really odd. Yeah. Slightly kind of troubling. So it is, it is genuinely of interest this to me. And I think yeah. it's great that you shine a light on this. And it sounds like an yeah. ongoing conversation. Um, there, there are also, uh, you know, very well-known artists in the music industry that mm -hmm. talk about this as well. I know Solange Knowles, who is the mm -hmm. sister of Beyonce, has done a track about it, um, yep. and others too. So I guess it's something that will will run and run. But like you say, it, it almost feels like it's bigger than hair as well. Hair is the vehicle yep. for which to discuss a much deeper issue, clearly. 
Absolutely. You are still interviewing. And for those who don't know you well, uh, I know that you've just made a foray into Instagram Live and yes. you've been interviewing some of your uh, heroines, heroes, mentors. Do you want to just yeah. tell us a little bit about that, what that is, who you've been talking to and what's coming up sure, next? Sure, sure. So it started last year, funny enough, during the first lockdown, in the first lockdown, and everyone was stuck at home. And I think to cope with the boredom, and um, also a bit of the, you know, fear and anxiety. I needed something, another creative project. <laughs> and I like the idea of um, Instagram Live um, because it, you know, it's quite easy. You just jump on, press record, no need to edit. Um, as you know, we both have spent a lot of time working on the Coco Diaries, but writing an article <laughs> takes time and brain power. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I just want to do something easy. So I'm going to just jump on Instagram and speak to, like you said, people that inspired me, yeah. um, mentors, people that I know. Um, I eventually want to kind of delve, reach out to people that I don't know who I admire, but I thought it's easy just to start with your social circle because I feel I've got some amazing um, people in my circle doing incredible things. So, so yeah, it started last, um, I think last April, perhaps, something like that. And um, my first guest was Dion Smith, who's a hairdresser. I thought that's the obvious choice. People know me for my work um, in the hair and beauty um, sector. So I interviewed Dion and it went really well. Um, and then I went on to interview a, a makeup artist called Pauline Briscoe. And then I started delving into other topics because I've got, you know, my interests that go beyond hair and beauty. And um, so I've, I've delved into like finances, um, the last one I did before taking a break, which was meant to be a two-week break, but ended up being about eight months. <laughs> the last one I did was on mental health, looking at things like grief and anxiety. Um, I lost my mum in 2019. Yeah, 2019. So as you can imagine, lockdown was March 2020. And I think about it, I was like, oh my God, I was still really in the beginning stages of my grief. And I don't know if that's why I stopped for a bit, because that particular episode was really quite emotional and um yeah I'm sure shout out to Nathaniel Oki for just holding it down for me he's the um psychologist I spoke to about the subject of grief and you know because we were right in the midst of um COVID at the time um and yeah just really enjoyed it I was meant to take a two-week break like I said and then work became quite busy and I feel I was dealing with grief at the moment at the time as well so I took a break and now I'm back um so Richard's like, just see it as season two. So this is season two. <laughs> Last week we interviewed, I interviewed um, Leslie McKenley, who is a property investor. And for my next one, I've got a best-selling author, but I can't tell you anything yet. You'll have to wait until. Well, that sounds good. If people want to catch you, how do they how do they view your Instagram live? What, what, what are the details? Sure. What's your handle and where do they go? So my, my handle is Ms. M-S, Quiche, Q-U-I-C-H-E. And um, my, you can find all my previous ones. Not all of them are there, unfortunately, because that, when I first started, it wasn't, they weren't, Instagram weren't saving the lives after a certain amount of time. Um, but I've got three or four, I think they're up there that you can view. And then, yeah, just stay tuned for, um, you know, the up and coming ones. Excellent. Now, is yeah. quiche, quiche with a Q just a play on yeah. words or are you genuinely yeah, yeah, a lover yeah. of the food quiche? <laughs> 
it's definitely a play of on ah, words. right okay I, so it's so uh, i eat quiche but i'm not i wouldn't say i'm a huge fan to be to be honest so, yeah so, so bacon based flans with a sort of uh crust <laughs> are not necessarily your favorite food exactly exactly I'm, that I'm, I'm, I'm glad we've clarified that uh no it was really uh, it was really touching to hear you talk about, um, obviously, what was quite a seismic moment in your life, mm. uh, your mother passing away. And yeah. I think it's well accepted now amongst most people, like you mentioned, that there are stages of grief. Mm. And I, I also wonder, um, you talked about that time when lockdown just happened. Um, yeah. And I, 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 think, I think you may have seen it, but I did a blog on LinkedIn about screen fatigue, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. just, you know, who's experienced it? Well, everyone's experienced it, clearly. Yep. Um, and I think in previous conversations I've had with you, you talked recently about information overload. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wonder if these kind of events are making people want to, to take a step back, you know, yep. um, and reflect. And how important is that, do you think? Yeah extremely important um and screen fatigue has been real for me i've now um gotten to a point where i'm i'm even though it looks like i'm on social media a lot i'm really not i tend to go on there um and post things like what you know features i've written recently or advertise my upcoming instagram lives and just checking with people to make sure they're all right and it's been i've noticed the difference immensely to my mental well-being, you know. Um, screen fatigue is is yeah is real, and just overload of information, and just kind of absorbing the energy on social media now, which I feel <laughs> is going through a collective stage of grief. I really do. I don't know. I'm, and I'm a, a bit of a uh, amateur psych kind of thing, and I like to psychoanalyze people and and you know events and social movements like social media and I feel we're going through a bit of collective grief at the moment through as a result of COVID and that's why I don't know if you've noticed but it's so um it's so polarized so, like the voice the social media landscape is yeah so polarizing very loud very combative um opinions are split people are arguing about things that are quite kind of on the grand scheme of things um probably not relevant much to your day-to-day -day life you know um so i i used to previous to covid i used to take um breaks for lent i used to give up social media for lent and i think that has given me the insight once you're away from it and you go back to it and see how easy it is to be drawn in and how encompassing it can be um to your life and i just don't feel it's healthy like any addiction, you know, you, you can't see yourself, you can't see it once you're in it, but it's only when you take a step back and think, oh my God, I'm really quite addicted to this thing. It's, I'm just going to say it, it, it mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear you talk about it and it sounds like you almost sort of think about it and assess it as a, mm -hmm. as a whole conscious being, you know. Um, yep. I remember reading a book a few years ago that really influenced my thinking a great deal by a guy, I think his name is Sharon Lanier, and he wrote this book called You Are Not a Gadget. And mm -hmm. the, the, the book the book had a grey cover and it just looked like an iPod. And, okay. and in the book, he talks a lot. Um, it, it's, it's quite philosophical, um, but it, it talks about th that collective consciousness that you mentioned. Yeah. And, and I think how he describes it as a hive mind, you know, yes. that people just flock around a subject. Yes. Um, right. 
and i think i think he was one of the early um sort of pioneers of the the internet mm-hmm. jaron lani yeah it, it, it is quite interesting that because i think um the the polarization that that happens means that we can't have healthy debate you know right uh if people feel they have to take an opposing view yeah and i know that i know that certain platforms are kind of not driving you away but i think you mentioned one particular platform that you're you're feeling less and less sort of enamored <laughs> with and i think and i think we're all like that aren't we we fall in yeah. and out of love with them or we have to delete an app on our phone yeah. because we just can't right. we just can't sort of filter it's, it properly yeah. Um, it was literally getting to the point where I'd switch it on and I would get headaches, physically get headaches from just because you can absorb the energy, can't you, um, from the way people type or what they say and stuff. And going back to what you just said about the hive mind, that's another reason why I've kind of really minimized my intake of social media, because and I found a lot of people that have deleted all their apps say this as well, is you find yourself kind of... Um, taking on the opinions of others. And if you have an opposing opinion, you're reluctant to put that opposing opinion across for fear of being attacked or canceled, you know? And I'm just looking at, prime example is this whole thing with the royal family um, and the interview that Meghan and Harry did recently with Oprah. Sorry, what story is this, Keisha? I'm not aware (laughs) of this particular (laughs) Oh, wow, (laughs) tell me more. Exactly. You know what the yeah. whole world is talking. That's what I was saying earlier about yeah. really does it have any bearing on our lives. You know, who said what to whom, who was horrible to whom. I have complicated feelings. I, I don't I, I don't really have any horse in this race. I personally think that it's probably wrongdoing on, you know, all parties. Like there isn't any argument or conflict, you know, but to have an opposing view or to um yeah, I feel like with social media, you cannot, they cannot look at nuance. It's everything is literally black or white, you know? And um, I found the most interesting conversations I've had about Meghan and Harry or other hotbed subjects, you, they tend to be offline, like like what we're doing now, one-on-one, where we sure. can put our points across and do so respectfully without, you know, this big combative energy. I, so, I, I guess yeah. that I guess what that's about is that you have thinking time and breathing space. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I guess the immediacy of of that yeah. technology makes it very reactionary. Yes, I suppose exactly. it doesn't cause yeah. cause you to reflect. What one thing to 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 flip that to a positive? Um, mm-hmm. I just wondered if there are any stories that you've seen uh, or things that people have been doing in lockdown that you're aware of that you found inspirational because actually there's been a lot of really I think you alluded to earlier there's been a lot of great things have yeah, come out yeah. come out of this period is, is there any anything that people either somebody you know or a story that you've seen online yeah. that's, that you found particularly inspiring um what you mean in terms of social media or just in general no just in, just in general yeah, just in just general. things just things that people are doing so I I, mm-hmm. I spoke to uh, Drew McMillan who's the director mm-hmm. of comms at British Airways he was talking about British Airways people uh, volunteering, you know, pilots volunteering to be delivery drivers, people, you know, distributing PPE, volunteering in the NHS, Um, you know, or it could be something very 
very small yeah, yeah. scale, like other people in your street helping the neighbors or that. I kind was going to say it probably is more on a community level. Um, yeah, local level. Yeah, local level. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, a few of my neighbors, like my neighbor immediately to my left, um, a neighbor across the road. Um, and I think potentially um, a neighbor a few doors away um, got COVID over the Christmas period, actually. Um, my neighbor across the road, bless her, she was, she's 80 years old, you know, she lost her husband, I think last year or the year before. Um, but she thankfully has two adult sons that, you know, took her to hospital, hospital and so forth. So um, we've been kind of rallying around and, you know, thankfully they're both, everyone's all right. You know, thankfully everyone's out of hospital now and everyone's okay. But we've been just communicating and just rallying around. Like I um, text my neighbor Paul, I'm like, I made some chicken soup. Do you want some? Do you and Jackie want some? And he's like, because <laughs> they sadly were, you know, the couple next door who got COVID and they're like, oh my God, Keisha, yes, please. You know, me or Rich would do a little delivery on the door. But likewise, with them, before they got ill, they, I'm not sure why, but they would bring us shopping every week. They would have excess like items. I don't know why. Um, a, a bag of shopping every Friday, like loaves of bread, some milk, um, fruit, just random. You never know what you're going to get. I'm like, oh, what have you got for me now? So yeah, it's just been nice. And I was speaking to their daughter and she was like, just really um, knocked on our door to say, thank you. Thank you guys for being such lovely neighbours, you know? And I'm like, no, this is what, it almost feels like, in some ways, um, and then maybe this is the lesson if you're looking for a big philosophical meaning behind this whole COVID thing, it's kind of, um, like I said, going back to basics and remembering the things that are important, community being one of them, which we've kind of forgotten in our pre-COVID, you know, rush, mad rush, dash to do everything lives. Um, yeah, so it's just remembering at the heart of it, those are the things that matter, um, you know, love, your family, your health, your neighbors, your community. And um, prior to this experience, we probably would have just waved to each other in the street, but now we're actually having conversations. And like I said, checking in with each other to make sure everyone's all right. Um, bringing round bowls of soup and food and, and just, yeah, it's, it's been really lovely. It's been so nice. I yeah. think you're absolutely right. I, I, I have a similar reflection. I feel like I've spoken to my immediate neighbors uh, on mm. either sides and, and up and down the street more in the last 12 months than in the previous 10 years that ever, I lived here. Yeah, yeah I yeah. mean, many, many times over. And yep. I, I would completely agree with you. It's, it's, it's created a focus on the local. Yeah. I know myself and others who I routinely bump into go out for local walks or yep. we just go out for five or 10 minutes to the local coffee shop. And it's, you know, again... I've been reflecting on this too. And to me, it's just, I think what people have discovered to add to what you've just so eloquently put there is it's those little bits of humanity, you know, just little pieces yeah. uh, of, of human contact. You know, we've had to yeah. sort of go out into the local environment, you know, mm -hmm. in, the, in the neighboring streets and just, uh, just rediscover it and find it again. Yeah. Um, and, exactly. you know, that's something we should hold on to because I think it's, it's I, definitely, I hope so. I hope. definitely an important thing. Yeah, I hope when, as we keep saying, the world opens up again, whatever that will be, um, you know, we t we kind of hold on to these things and keep these things, you know, cherish them and don't, I know it's going to be hard because we're so used to the previous way of life, 
Um, we've been doing it for the vast majority of our lives, so it will be hard, but I, I feel um, it just felt right. A lot of those things just felt this is how life should be led. Even when lockdown first started, and I remember saying to Richard, like, this is the longest period of time in our, how long have we been together now? Like 18 years almost? In 18 years that we've spent with each other, because when you think about it, you spend like maybe 10 days on holiday with your partner, um, you spend another 10 days at Christmas, but to spend three months <laughs> just um, with just the four of us, it was actually, it was challenging, obviously it had, it had its challenges, but it was actually really, really nice as well. We, we Richard and I, um, you know, kind of had time to spend with each other, laugh and share things and cook, nutritious meals and there was none of that rush rush um usually find ourselves caught up in and stuff so yeah i know what you mean it it, it, yeah. it, it can be very it was you know when you think about it now it seems it seems strange to think about how fleeting those yeah. relationships were you know waking up in the dark yeah you know, getting on a train getting into a car you know rushing yeah. out the door rushing your children to nursery or school coming mm -hmm. back late someone rushing to pick them up whose yeah. turn is it you know all that all that yeah. kind of thing dinner um, bed <laughs> repeat <laughs> absolutely yeah eat sleep and repeat i've rediscovered my love of books and that's also helped with my curb my addiction to social media is kind of by burying my head in the book um, and what have you been reading can you give us an example of a couple of books that you've read yeah sure i've really been into uh, memoirs i've always loved memoirs i would love to write or ghost write a memoir for somebody so if anyone's out there listening <laughs> please let me know but um i read mariah carey's book in fact i can look at my bookshelf now mariah carey's book which was amazing um mel b who i'm not a huge fan of i must admit i was never really a spice girl fan but once i completed mariah i was like oh which book can i read next that's along the same vein and that popped up on the recommended on my recommended list on Kindle and it was really really well written so many life lessons in there um same with Mariah as well but Mariah um what I loved about Mariah's book is she talked a lot about her creative pro process as a songwriter and a musician whereas with Mel it was more about her personal challenges more about life, you know, she went through a highly documented um, abusive relationship with her ex-husband and she talks about it in painstaking detail, really, really raw and um, emotional, but it was brilliant. Um, what else have I read? I've read quite a few books on hair as well. Um, there's a, an award-winning Afro hairdresser called Charlotte Benzer. She recently wrote a book called Good Hair. Um, about some of the things we spoke about, about the history of Afro hair and also just practical tips on how to keep your hair in top shape. Um, what else have I read? It will come to me later, but those, well, are, the, those are the few that stuff. Yeah, out. well, they, they sound good. And um, yeah. on one of our earlier episodes of Comes From The Shed, we spoke to mm. Dr. Kirsty Fairclough, who, oh, yes. uh, amongst other things, is the chair of the Manchester Jazz Festival, and she's a lecturer. Oh, yeah at Manchester Metropolitan University. It's probably worth mentioning to you, if you enjoyed Mariah Carey's book, that yeah. herself and three other academic colleagues are writing a book on uh, divas of R&B. And I believe that Mariah Excellent. Carey is among those people featured. So oh, look, out, wow. look out for that later in the year. It's going to be quite an academic study as well. It's going Excellent. to go quite, quite deep into the, the issues. 
I must confess, I was made aware of something mm-hmm. in quarantine that I, uh, sorry, lockdown that I had no knowledge of. My wife got me into, I think, as you know, Judy loves yeah. quarantine oh, yes. date nights. <laughs> How would you describe Judy loves quarantine date nights? Because oh, it's also hosted God. on, it's hosted on Instagram. It's raw, it's live, it's one off, and it may be yes. slightly different to Loose Women and some of the other things. <laughs> that appear on, but try and explain it because it, I, yeah. I find it incredibly funny. Because I'd seen it previously at the start of lockdown, but I, you know, never paid it that much attention, you know, because there was so much content on Instagram live. So many people were going live at the start of it. So you'd go into one room and watch five minutes and then jump. Revisited it again, maybe last month, and it was the best thing ever. Like you said, I've also been looking for things just to, to laugh at because life is so heavy. Life is so serious right now. So anything that can, um, you know, make us temporary escape from our reality is yeah. you know a bonus for me i mean could is... we could we call it a dating show loosely loosely based on a, a dating <laughs> concept <laughs> yeah exactly so um judy basically invites some seriously brave souls i i would say i think they're really brave to put themselves forward and just say look i'm single i'm looking for a partner this is what i want yeah and this is what i'm not you know I don't want and Judy for those who don't know is a comedian doing amazing things at the moment isn't she I I just absolutely yeah absolutely yeah her star is on the rise absolutely yeah her star is definitely on the rise she's currently on Loose Women and I think she's been on Jonathan Ross and stuff and she's very warm and personable and she's smart as well so she's the perfect host the perfect like next to the black I guess yeah sorry I was just going to say Keisha I'm not sure if she's the person that came up with this but the the phrase do you want to slide into my DMs? It's now yes. sort of hardwired yes. into my consciousness in a way that <laughs> yeah, exactly. maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't before. Who do you think's been the most memorable guest, or has there been anything that's happened on our recent episode that you found particularly funny? The one that sticks out for me was the lady who had the um Rasta boyfriend with about 10, I think he had about 10 different girlfriends on the go and stuff and she was on there for about 20 minutes um talking about each different scenario yeah that girl is lives in Birmingham and she's got two kids and and it was just hilarious it was she was such a character she was sat and Judy just sat there gobsmacked and just you know was just laughing because she was so um she was just so kind of forthcoming and confident and comfortable with the situation and um yeah the comments are just as you can imagine um just really funny and it's really engaging so she's really onto a good thing with with that and absolutely and ju- just to fi- just to finish off on uh, judy uh-huh. loves quarantine date nights so i think it's probably yeah. worth saying as well that from a broadcast point of view um it's quite high risk because mm. it's effectively um uncensored unfiltered mm. and you know she is she is right on the line yeah all the time you know and it's exactly you know it's a pretty brave position yeah. to be in especially as she has a mainstream career so that's yeah. that's kind of the serious point I think she yeah. she puts herself she out there it. she manages yeah, it so well does. you know and she will kind of um call you out or pull you up if you say things that aren't necessarily politically correct or you know she will know where to say all right then goodbye <laughs> let's cut this conversation off quickly um so yeah it, it takes a lot of um guts on her part as well to put herself out there because it literally is live she's got a huge following um so anything can happen you know and, um, absolutely yeah, yeah and, and it usually does and it usually does <laughs> 
it's a really great talking to you today. I just wanted to finish by maybe reflecting on some hopes for the future. I mean, when you look mm-hmm. ahead, what what are your what are your kind of um, hopes, dreams, aspirations uh, for the next mm-hmm. few months? Few months. Oh my days! Or, just... or the next couple of years. Oh. So however however long yeah, yeah. the future. Um, immediately, I just really like most people. Just can't wait to do things again. I can't wait to meet up with friends and family members. Be out in the outdoors. Can't wait to feel the sun on my back. To feel seawater. Just the regular things, really. Um, go to concerts, theatre performances. Go to dinner. I really, really. Um, I was okay up until maybe about a few months ago. I am. I'm really excited about the future. I feel I'm in a really good place. I've yeah. become a lot more confident in my abilities. Going back to Sherry Dixon, actually, my mentor. I was on her. Um, she has a weekly um live show called the sherry dixon show and i was on one of the shows which spoke about um imposter syndrome and she was like keisha i would never have guessed you suffer from imposter syndrome because you're always doing these things and i'm like but i i seriously do but i'm of the feel the fear and do it anyway ilk the more i do things the even things like this it's fine because it's at the moment it just feels like i'm having a conversation with sam but if i think about it beyond that like oh my god people are going to listen to it and you know judge me um because I've I've never like most people don't necessarily enjoy public speaking but the more I do it the more comfortable I become with it and it's one of those things like most things if you want to master you just need to keep doing it more and more so the more I achieve um or the more things I conquer the more confident I become I need to maybe push myself and enter another creative market documentaries that's something I've always wanted to do make documentaries maybe that's something I could explore but I I feel it needs to I need to push myself out of my comfort zones for my next endeavor absolutely and I'm sure conversations yeah. like this help and I, yeah I, absolutely I, I, I totally get what you're saying about the the unknown and how uncertain the future is and mm. strangely I I feel I think strangely optimistic uh, but if you and I almost mm. feel uh, guilty in saying that I don't know why I feel like that I don't necessarily yeah. have any basis for it but mm. um, maybe there's just something in the air right now and if there is and if there is any yeah. optimism we should just kind of try and grab it and try and bottle well, that feeling yeah. and, and just just that's good isn't it it can transmit to others yeah absolutely yeah I think that's good because I think you know as we know the news focuses on negativity and you know, there's so much doom and gloom about impending recessions and getting the economy back and vaccines and vac- you know, there's so much negative energy out there, negative stories. So to have optimism in the face of you know all the adversity we've faced, yet to face, that says something. So maybe that is an indication that beyond this, there are positive things to come. Absolutely. Yeah. Well. Thank you for talking to us today. I really enjoyed the discussion, uh, as always. And um, I, I'd, I'd hope that everyone can keep checking back with comms from the shed and we'll keep sharing future episodes. So just to say once more, Keisha Davis, thanks very much for joining us today. And thank you for having me, Sam. It's been a pleasure. It's been loads of fun. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Comms from the Shed. Hit subscribe if you want to know when new episodes are available or check out our Instagram page for the latest updates.